Amen. Awesome. So good to be with you all this morning. I'm going to start by telling you a story from New Zealand from when I was 19 years old. And I went to visit my motorbike crazy friend. Her name was Weasel. Okay, that's what we call people in New Zealand, Weasel. And at the time, she had a silver Suzuki Street Magic, and she absolutely loved her bike. But being a very sacrificial type of friend, she decided to let me, Johanna Vanati, person with no previous driving experience or license, have a go on her beloved bike. And I was like, this is exciting. And she said, Johanna, hold on a minute. Before you take off, you need to understand that you must stay in this area. And her area was about the size of this auditorium where you're sitting right now. And I was like, of course I'll do that, Weasel. I'll stay in the area. And she said, oh, hold on. Before you take off, you need to know that right here on the handlebar, this is not the brake. Most people think it's the brake. It's the accelerator. And I was like, I've got it. I know what I'm doing. And I climbed on her bike. And I went round and round that gravel area. But after a while, I got a bit bored by this restriction. And with relief, I spied freedom down a cliffside road. And so without looking back, I pushed that motorbike as hard and fast as I possibly could. Now, has anyone in this room ridden a motorbike before? Yeah? Have you ever pushed it so hard that it feels like the bike's going faster than your body can keep up? Anyone done that? Yeah, it's, it's a crazy experience. For me, suddenly, everything went to slow motion because I knew it was getting dangerous. And I looked down at the road below and the tiny pebbles were turning to massive rocks as I neared this cliff's edge. And so in fright, I reached out for the accelerator and I actually went catapulting off that cliff's edge. Serious story. And a tree grabbed my legs and I dangled looking at the river below thinking, oh my gosh, there must be a purpose for my life. And all I could do dangling there is yell my friend's name, weasel, weasel, save me. And this is a true story. She ambled down that road and she saved her bike first. They're crazy. You know, this can be a bit like our Christian lives, right? We're walking with God, we're going His way, we're doing the things that He wants. We might have come out of a worship experience or somebody says something to us that motivates us and we're like, yes, we've got it. I'm going after God, I'm gonna give my whole life to Him. And then suddenly life happens. Messy stuff trips us up. Someone says something to us. We're back into the old pattern of our marriage. And so we want to do things that fill that gap that's created inside of our soul. And so we look for things to self-medicate. We look for escapes, right? You know, a number of years back, Bok and I, my husband, decided to go to Thailand. And we wanted to go and see where he was actually originally from. And while on the streets of Bangkok, this guy came up to me and said, do you want to go on a safari? And I was like, okay. We got very ripped off, but I did find myself on top of this massive elephant. And what struck me about this elephant is how it absolutely obeyed its master. I mean, it would do anything that its master would tell him to do, right? And being a little bit geeky, I went back to New Zealand and thought, I'm going to research this. Why are these elephants, these giants, just obeying these masters? And so I found this out, that when poachers are looking for an elephant, they will search out a mother, and they'll go for their baby. 
and they'll take that baby and they will beat the baby so that they know who is boss. And then they will take that baby and put a chain around its ankle and tie that chain to a three-foot iron stake. And the baby elephant pulls and struggles and wrestles against that three-foot iron stake, but to no avail. Eventually, this baby elephant completely gives up. And he accepts in his mind that the three-foot iron stake holds him there. Now, this is absolutely crazy because 10 years later, when he is hundreds of pounds heavier, he still believes in his mind that the three-foot iron stake holds him there. Do you know at this point, he can flip cars, he can uproot entire trees, but that experience from when he was young holds him there. And see, the thing is, is that in the Bible, John 10, 10, Jesus says this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And the verse before that, the words before that say, the thief comes to rob, kill and destroy. The spiritual world is real. The devil is real. And he wants to do anything he possibly can to stop us from experiencing the fullness of life. He wants to be able to take the experiences that we've had as children or a relational fallout or pain or brokenness or something that we've made a mistake in and he wants to drum it into our lives so that we repeat the same thing over and over and over again and then it's like we're just staked there, unable to free ourselves. See, the most powerful thing you can do to a person is to make them believe a lie about themselves that is not true, right? To keep a person stuck for good in the same old habit, in the same old pattern, in the same old struggle and wrestle and entrapment. But Jesus said, I have come to give them life and give it to the full. You know, there is this Bible character that I find really interesting. In the Old Testament, King Jehoshaphat. He was king of Judah, quite a small nation compared to other nations around him. And he was so much after God's heart that he'd be like, everyone, get rid of your shrines. We're worshiping God and God alone. The Bible records that he loved God. But it was kind of weird because he had this love for God, but then he had his foot in another camp. He had a fear in his life, and I don't know where his fear came from, but his fear drove his decisions. He was scared about Judah being small, so he decided to align himself with the king of Israel, Ahab, who happened to be married to Jezebel. And do you know how he did it? He did it by giving his son in marriage to their daughter, literally getting their bloodlines tied up. Because he was afraid, his, his trust was not in God enough to know that God could protect them. He believed a lie that he was not safe in the hands of God, but that he had to form his own strategy for the safety of his people. And the thing is, is that because of his relationship with King Ahab, he ended up in this position where he was partying with him and joins a battle with King Ahab 
that causes him to almost lose his life. And he comes away from that going, man, I really fell into a place of fear. And he walks back into Judah going, I just about lost my life. Everybody, we really mean it now. We're going to worship God. And shortly after this, some messengers come to him and they say to him, you need to know Jehoshaphat. There is a vast army that is coming towards you. And in this moment of time, Jehoshaphat had a choice. He could either retreat back into his habit of fear or he could turn and face God and ask Him for help. And do you know what the Bible says? If we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, it says this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. It's not that he suddenly healed from his fear. He was fully aware of the fact that he lived in a space of fear, but it's what he did with it. And under this pressure, he decided to turn to God. And it says this here. He begged the Lord for guidance. And then he gathered all the people up. And we go to verse 12. It says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against the mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. Down to verse 15. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. And from that point on, they bowed down in worship before God. Everybody bowed down and worship. What is worship? It is saying, God, I will put you on the throne. I will put you first place. Sarah preached last week that you can't have two gods in your heart. You can only have one God. There is only one God that can be the King of kings and the Lord of lords and sit on the throne. And so they bowed down and they forgot all else and they put their focus on God in the midst of a time where they could have been slaughtered. They worshipped instead. They worshipped. And then they went to battle. They marched forward. And as they marched forward, they sent people in front of them to sing praise and to sing worship to God. They made it about God. And when they came to the place that God told them to go, what did they find? They found the battle had already been won. And all they had to do was to pick up the plunder. And it took them three days three days to pick up everything that they had gained. They won the victory because they put God first. I want to say this this morning. Jesus, Jesus, when He went to the cross, we so often 
focus on his physical pain with that crown of thorns that was jammed into his head, the way that his hands were nailed to the cross. But oh my gosh, it was so much more than that. The spiritual pain as he took on the suffering and the sin and the struggle and the guilt. Oh my gosh, how do you feel when you're guilty, right? I feel bad. Imagine taking everybody's on. He took it on so that we could be free. And as he breathed his last breath, he said the words, it is finished. It is finished. The battle has already been won for you this morning. And all Jesus asks you to do is to walk in the victory that is already yours. He invites you into a space where the lies that you believe about yourself, the limits that you have put in place, the things that have been done to you, the things that have happened to you, the grief that you carry, that God would heal you deep down and set you free. Jehoshaphat had a choice in that moment to turn back to fear, to self-medicate, to try and set himself free in his own way. But he knew that didn't work. He knew that the only way was to turn to the King of Kings, to turn to God. See, Galatians 5.1 says this. I love this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not go back to the burden of the yoke of slavery. For myself, my own testimony is that I'm a pastor's kid and I grew up believing that I was not valuable, that my only value lay in what somebody else said about me. It's partly because my experience was I had an older sister and she was just brilliant at everything. She was ducks of her school. She became a doctor. She was beautiful. It seemed like everybody else liked her and the only way that I could manage to really feel like I got affirmation was if I threw myself into ministry. So I became a powerhouse of ministry. My youth ministry grew. Things looked amazing. I got shoulder tapped into a national team in New Zealand. And then things got worse for me because the guys in the team were like, wow, Johanna, you're just so amazing. You're like superwoman, aren't you? You're just incredible. You're just so on steroids with ministry. And I was like, oh my gosh, my lack of value meant that I was looking for value elsewhere. And so I couldn't wait for every single national meeting. I would count the days down to get there. I started to lose weight for the meetings. I'd buy a new outfit. My husband was getting concerned. He was like, what are you doing? Why do you have to dress up every time you go to these things? And there was this lie in me that my value lay in other people. And it wasn't until I drove myself so hard that I went into burnout and when I'd work, I'd start shaking from the job. And my boss sat down with me and he was a really good guy and he said, Johanna, you gotta face whatever is in your life so that you can be free. You need to face what is burning you out. You need to name it. And a friend of mine said, you know, when you go on journeys like this where you start naming lies in your life, it's a hard journey, Joe. Some people don't make it to the other side because it's uncomfortable, right? And I was like, I'm going to go this journey, and I did. I sat with counsellors, I sat with therapists, and I worked through the stuff in my life. 
Because one of the greatest things that I have learnt is that fullness of life in Jesus is not talking about whether I make it onto the next great stage when I'm speaking. I've done that and it lent itself to loneliness. It wasn't on what people thought of me, how many accolades I got. I've learnt, and Jesus is teaching more every day, that the greatest space of fullness of life is when we face the pressure points in our life and that we choose to pivot towards God and that produces fruit and the fruit is love. The fruit is joy. The fruit is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That, that is fullness of life. When someone hates on you and says something bad to you that you feel love anyway. When the circumstances around you are not going well, that you would know a joy that doesn't happen because of your happenings, but because of heaven. A peace that goes beyond your understanding that even if someone turns their back on you, that you know who you are in Christ. Self-control for those moments when the pressure hits and and you want to turn to things that self-medicate. But you push through that so that you can experience that freedom that Christ offers. I've learned so much that an initial thought that we have in our head, if we allow it to carry through to our heart, that's where the problem is. The battle is in our mind, and we've been talking about breakthrough, and God wants us to to break through, right? To reach fullness of life in Him. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means that we're willing to face the stuff that trips us up. And in moments like these, in a crowd like this, we could sit here and listen to a message like I'm saying and be like, okay, the problem is I've got this, this, and this in my life, or I've tried this before and it hasn't worked. Your relationship with Jesus is a journey, and it's a journey with community and others, right? And God is so much about healing. A number of years ago, a story that really struck me was the story of Kiki. In 2010, there were earthquakes that hit Haiti, and they hit them bad. Almost everything fell down. And this little boy is eight years old, Kiki. He had his whole house fall on him with his brother. And they were there together, crouched down. And Kiki listened to the cries of his brother as he called out for water. And slowly but surely died next to him until Kiki was alone in the tomb that was his brother's. Day after day, he, he called out. And on the eighth day, some rescue workers heard the cries of Kiki and, and they ran over and they desperately lifted boulder after boulder away from this tomb. And finally, the light shone through and and they started calling out. They started saying, come, come, little boy, come. And do you know what Kiki did? Kiki retreated further back into that cave. It's like, I don't know if I want this right now. I've become so comfortable here. How many times do we get so comfortable with our habits? 
so comfortable in the way that we, we react that it's just easy to go there. It's easier to live that way and, and God's standing there saying, my son, my daughter, I want you to know fullness of life. I want you to know freedom. I, I'm inviting you out of the cave. I'm inviting you out of the grave because I rose from the grave so that you could be set free. Come and be with me. And the rescue workers, they continue to call him. They called his auntie over and she's calling him. And eventually Kiki had enough trust to step forward. And he put his arms out. And this is the photo right now of Kiki as he comes out of his hiding place. And a reporter asked him later, Kiki, why did you smile? And he said this, I smiled because I was alive. And I smiled because I was free. This morning I'm asking you, what is the stake in your life? What is the thing that holds you back from true freedom? Is there a lie that you believe about yourself? Is there a circumstance that you've been through that makes you go back to the same old thing? Are you craving freedom in this place this morning? Because I tell you, God wants to give it to you. Jesus has already run the victory. And he invites you to heal. I'm on that healing journey too. But he invites you to be set free.